before we actually look at the scriptures today, um, we're going to be doing, this is kind of an introductory sermon to a series that's going to start next week. Um, it's called What Matters Most. Uh, today, for those of you who know about the church calendar, today is Palm Sunday. Okay, Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. Okay, Palm Sunday, it was the day that the crowds gathered in Jerusalem at the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life, and they gathered to celebrate the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as their king. Okay, and let me just read you about it from Matthew. This is later on. This is Matthew 21. It says, most of the crowd, this is as Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them before them on the road. Those branches were palm branches we see in other uh, in other accounts in the Gospels. It says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so the crowds heralded Jesus as their king. They said he was the voice of God. Okay, this was Palm Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. But then, just five days later, if this was on Sunday, then on Friday of that same week, those same crowds called for Jesus' blood. Okay, next slide. Just a few chapters later. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Next slide. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And so in five days, the crowds turned on Jesus. They went from worshiping Jesus to saying he was worthless. They hailed him on Sunday and then hollered for his blood on Friday. Friends, how can these things be? Even the disciples, like the 12 disciples, they went from boldly declaring, even if I have to die for you, I will never deny you. 24 hours later, they all denied Jesus and deserted him. Friends, how can these things be? And I see this in my own life. There's a tension. I devote myself to God. I rekindle my heart for Him. I commit myself to being more patient. Only to snap. And the anger, the frustration, it gets the best of me. And I do the very thing that I just prayed to God to deliver me from. Friends, how can these things be? I think this is true for all of us, if we're honest, both for Christians and for non-Christians. 
There is this difference between what we want to be and what we are in practice. Why? Why is this? Well, Jesus explains the tension. Jesus says that the problem that we have is in our hearts. It's in our hearts. Next slide. This is Jesus in Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his treasure, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. And so Jesus says that our heart, it's like a treasure chest. And that treasure chest is full of the sum total of who we are. And the problem that we have, the tension that exists in our lives, um, is that our hearts are a mixed bag. Right? It's a mix of good and evil. And, and the main point that Jesus wants us to get, the thing that explains the tension that exists where we can go from five days of such a radical difference or 20 minutes in such a radical change, Jesus says that what matters most is our hearts. That our hearts lie at the root of the tension that we experience. And so, if this is the problem, then how do we fix it? What can we do? Somebody actually asked Jesus this question. And Jesus said that there's something that you can do that will have the greatest impact on your life. Okay, and it's these next verses, the first ones that are there in your bulletin. This is Matthew 22, verses 35 to 38. This is what we're going to look at today. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus, him, him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus, which is the greatest thing that I could possibly do? And Jesus answers. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so what we see here is that Jesus is saying, It's your heart that matters most. Do you want to know what the greatest thing is that you can do? It's to love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. That is the greatest thing that you can do. If you want to resolve the tension that exists between what you want to be and what you find yourself doing, the answer is to love God with all your heart. Give your heart to Him. Give your heart to God. Love God with all your heart. Um, And the reason that the heart is the greatest thing, why Jesus focuses here, is because the heart... Your heart is the sum total of who you are. Okay? In this passage, Jesus says, He says, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And in the Bible, those are all really the same thing. Okay? These are just three ways of describing who you are. The Bible connects all these things together. There are places in the Bible that say that thoughts come from out of our hearts. Okay, they say that the, the sum total of our emotions and our desires, our whole life comes out of our heart. And so the greatest thing you can do is to love God with all your heart. As your pastor, my hope is that you would give your entire heart to God. 
That every part of your heart. Jesus says, with all your heart. Right? With all of your heart. Because your heart is what matters the most. Um, It's like this. This slide. Jesus, what Jesus is describing, he's saying that our hearts are like a map. Okay, a map of our entire lives. Okay, that, that you know, a map gives us a picture of the whole thing. So in this case, it's like the continents are different aspects of our lives. Okay, that make up our heart. So maybe you've got the continent of our relationships, the continent of our work, the continent of our attitudes, the, con- uh, the continent of our actions and our words, right? Each one of these things is a different area of our lives. And Jesus is saying here that the greatest thing that you can do, the thing that matters the most, is if you would love God with the entirety of your heart. That means in every area of your life, you want to love God. And again, I think when we when we think about Jesus' words, they're challenging to us because I think, frankly, our hearts, again, they're a mixed bag. You know, the continents on the map of our hearts are in different colors, right? They're in different stages of maturity or different states of well-being. And Jesus says that what matters the most is for us to give our hearts in their entirety to God. So next slide. Jesus is inviting us to say, my heart, the whole thing, my heart loves God first. Okay, that in the area of my relationships, my heart loves God first. In the workplace, my heart loves God first. With my attitudes, with my actions, my heart loves God first. Think about the hymn, right? This is my father's world. And as I was thinking about this, as a map of our hearts, I thought, what a great expression, right? For you to be able to say, this is my father's world. That my God lives here. He doesn't just live here, but he reigns here. He reigns over every area of my life. And so this is what Jesus is calling us to. And part of the reason why he's calling us to this, part of the reason why is because because there are attacks on our hearts. Because our sin lives in our hearts. We are attacked by temptation and sin. And that sin tries to get control. The sin tries to build a beachhead in in different areas of our lives. It tries to set up a camp and then it begins to grow. Okay, next slide. Here's a a passage from Matthew chapter 15. Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. This is a strong word. Jesus is saying something incredibly strong about your heart and mine. You wonder, why is the world the way it is? What's wrong with the world? It's so easy for us to say, oh, you know what? I am this way because so-and-so did this to me. Um, Last week, when Lainey and I were out of town on vacation, my mom was watching 
our kids. And when we got back, we get a report and we get to hear the highs and the lows of how the weekend goes. And what's interesting is that we hear the highs and lows of our kids, but then we talk to the kids and I got to hear the highs and the lows of my mom, you know, which was kind of interesting because the older they get, the more discerning they are and the clearer they can articulate things. And it was interesting because I got to hear about how my mom reacted to the kids some ways in really wonderful ways, but then some of the dark side too. And it was interesting to me because I heard my kids describe my mom and the way that she reacted to them in certain instances. And it struck me that, man, I react the exact same way. That it's easy for me to get frustrated. It's easy for me to get impatient. It's easy for me to think, well, this is how things are supposed to go. And so let's make sure they go this way. And I don't care what your perspective is. I don't care what you're doing. This is what we're doing now. And if you don't line up, then I get mad. And so as the kids were, um, were talking to us and telling us some of the things that happened, you know, I'm listening and, and I'm making this equation and I'm starting to think, well, no wonder I struggle the way that I do. Right? No wonder. And part of me, I mean, I know better than this, and yet part of me was thinking, it's not my fault. And I'm thinking, well, all right, I guess it's not my fault. Right? And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, you know, and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, <laughs> no, no. That may be the reason why you're more prone to struggle here, but you're still responsible, Stephen. But that's our temptation. We want to blame it on everything else, everything that's outside of us. That's why we do bad things. But what Jesus says really clearly to us, he says, it's out of the heart. Out of my heart come evil thoughts. It's out of your heart that sin springs forth. And we need to be aware of this because if we're not aware of what our hearts can become and what our hearts are, then we'll never ever deal with the root of the problem. So often we focus on the fruit of the problem and don't deal with the root. The root is our hearts. The reason Jesus says that the greatest thing you could possibly do is to love God with all your heart is because Jesus knows that if you do that, then you will be removing the evil that comes from within. And so sin lies deep in our hearts. And it is, that's where the evil that we do comes from. Next slide. Let's back up. Okay. Um, So, the other thing that I guess I want to mention is that the problem with our hearts is not just evil. Okay? It's not just that we do these evil things, but our hearts are, can be, Jeremiah 17.9 says, our hearts are deceitful and deceptively wicked. Who can know them? There are times where our hearts not just, won't just, you know, bring forth evil, but our hearts also have the power to take good things that are in our lives and make them into ultimate things. Okay, our hearts can take good things like a relationship, like, uh, like our work, like um, recreation, and it can turn those things into ultimate things where we say, if I don't have a relationship, I can't function. 
Or if I'm not this successful in my career, I can't be happy. And so we need to be on guard also because what can happen is that when our hearts are not satisfied, when our hearts are not filled with love for God, we can take these good things and we can really squeeze them because we're not satisfied. So we squeeze the good things that are in our lives and try to get more and more satisfaction out of them. And when we go to a relationship and try to make it be our source of satisfaction, that relationship can only offer so much it cannot ultimately satisfy us completely. And so we squeeze it tighter and tighter, trying to get as much as we can, and we crush that good thing. We squeeze our work tighter and tighter and spend more hours and more hours and more hours, and we find that what it ends up doing is it controls us. Our hearts go after, it's, our hearts are longing to be satisfied. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. This is a great quote. He said, it's, it's kind of long, but hang with me. It says, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they want, what they want, and what they want acutely, is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give you satisfaction, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings that arise in us when we first fall in love or we first retire or we first think about traveling the world or taking up a new hobby, all these things that excite us, these are longings which no marriage, no career, and no amount of travel can ever really satisfy. And he goes on to say, he said, I'm not talking about unsuccessful marriages or vacations or careers. I'm talking about the best possible marriages and vacations and careers. There is something we've grasped at in the first longing that just fades away in the reality. He says, I think everyone knows what I mean. Something has evaded us. You feel that way? This is when our hearts deceive us into thinking, yeah, 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 just a little bit more. Yeah, 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 we're almost there. Yeah, 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 this really will satisfy. It's like a mirage. When you get there, there's nothing there. Tim Keller said, no one, no thing can give your heart all that it needs. He says, this cosmic disappointment and disillusionment is there in all of life. And he said, you can respond to this by blaming the thing you're pursuing and go find something else, just to repeat the cycle. You can blame yourself and beat yourself up, and then you're going to suffer depression. You can blame the world, or you can look to God. Or you can look to God, because God alone can satisfy Back to C.S. Lewis, he said, I find in myself a desire that no experience in the world can satisfy. And if I find that no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. So what can you do? What can you do about this? Well, Jesus has some advice. 
Next slide. Matthew 23, 37. This is Jesus pleading with the city of Jerusalem and weeping over their unbelief that they don't believe and recognize who he is. Listen to what he says, because he diagnoses what the crux of the issue is if you want to do something about the way you feel. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. There is hope here. Because the problem that Jerusalem had was that they were not willing to come to him. They weren't willing to come. And so if you are willing, then your heart can be filled. If you're struggling, if you've looked all around the entire world and found it leaving you wanting. If you're not satisfied, I mean, this is for all of us. Jesus has a word for you. He's got a message for you, for Christians and for non-Christians. It's for all of us. And it's from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. How do you love God with all of your heart? Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, if you're tired, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He will give you rest. Jesus provides for you a spiritual rest. The things that cause you to be burdened, the things that cause you to be heavy laden, are the things that come out of your heart that aren't satisfied. It's your sin. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because Jesus has taken on our sin. God didn't have to, but God wanted to enter the world to die for your sins. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to come and die for the sins of the world. And he offers you the rest and the peace of a clear conscience. He offers you the rest of a relationship with him where he is in control and he is taking care of you. Jesus says, come to me. He forgives your sin. He also will remove it. He'll take it out of your heart. In verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So he says, Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? Um, something that they use for animals. I got a picture of it. This is a yoke. Jesus says, Take my yoke. 
and learn from me. Now, I think in our day and age, this sounds like Jesus wants to treat us like we're animals. It doesn't really make Jesus look very welcoming, I don't think. Um, but in Jesus' day, a yoke was a prized possession. A yoke was an amazing tool. A yoke um, was designed to hitch two animals together. Okay, so if you had a pair of oxen, for instance, you wanted to hitch them together. And you'd hitch them together for a couple reasons. Next slide. Um, one is so that they'd move in the same direction. Right? Without the yoke, if one ox goes left, the other ox goes right, you're in big trouble. Okay, and so you put a yoke on the two oxen so that they go in the same direction. Next slide. You also would yoke two oxen together in order to share the workload. Okay, so not one ox is doing all the work. They plow, in this picture, they plow together. Go ahead. And so Jesus says, take my yoke. Take my yoke. Not because I want to treat you like an animal, but because I want to show you what it means to love God with all your heart. Okay, because there's room for two in a yoke. Your head goes here. Whose head goes there? Whose yoke is it? Jesus says, take my yoke. It doesn't just mean the one that he owns. Jesus says, take my yoke, meaning that if you come to me and you take my yoke, I will be on the other side. Do you know what that means? Jesus is saying, Come to me, take my yoke, and I will never, ever, ever leave you. Jesus says, no matter what you're going through right now, I am with you. No matter how bad your circumstances are, no matter the situation with your finances, no matter what thing you've done in the past, no matter what is in front of you, Jesus says, you are not alone. If you come to me and take my yoke, I will never, ever leave you. I will be yoked together with you. Jesus is with you. Jesus keeps you going in the right direction. Jesus continues to move and will bear the brunt of the workload when you're too tired to go on, when you think that you're done, when you can't go on any longer. And all the while, every step of the way, Jesus, with his amazingly gracious loving, gentle, kind, and compassionate spirit will be encouraging you and helping you grow and strengthening you every step of the way. Friends, why would you want to love God with all your heart? 
Because that's how we bring Jesus and his presence into our lives. We offer God our hearts and Jesus is with you. And so, to come to Jesus, it means to follow him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, I will teach you. So friends, it's following Jesus. It's loving him in every area of your life. He is a gentle and gracious master. In the areas of your life, you ask yourself, so what does it mean to love Jesus in this area of my life? How can I love God in this area of my relationships? How can I love God in this area at the workplace? How can I love God with these habits, with this addiction, with this whatever it is, fill in the blank? Ask yourself, what does it mean to be yoked together with Jesus? In this. Now, if there's something that you're struggling with um, and you don't know how to get out, you don't know how to love God in that part of your life, come back next week. Come back next week because next week on Easter Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series starting a new series entitled Conquering the Invisible Giants. And what we're going to look at is we're going to watch Jesus walk through the map of our hearts and target the invisible giants that control us from within. The giant things that you can't see, but they live in our hearts and they fester. And Jesus is going to, we're going to, we're going to learn from him. Okay, we're going to start a whole series. We're going to learn from Jesus what it means to have his yoke. We're going to see that his yoke is, is, is light. That his burden is light. And here's what's amazing. Is that when you come to Jesus, you devote your heart to God. That's when you say, God, you can have my whole heart. That's how you do it. You pray. You say, God, I'm sorry. I've lived apart from you. I have not loved you in these areas of my life. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, and I devote my heart to you. That's a prayer that that, that you can pray to become a Christian. It's a prayer that you can pray if you are a Christian and there's an area of your life where you're not loving God. When you do that, something supernatural happens we see one of the Beatitudes will come true. It's our last slide. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. When you devote your heart to God, when you say, Jesus, I want your yoke, I will take your yoke upon me and I will learn from you. When you do that, Jesus cleanses and purifies your heart. And guess what? You then see God. You see God. You see God hanging on a cross, dying for the sins that are in your heart. And you see him right next to you. 
in the areas of your life, bringing his grace and his power, loving you every step of the way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray now and ask for you to reveal to us the honest condition of our hearts. Jesus, help us to be honest with you about where we are. Show us, Lord, the good treasure that is in our hearts, the areas that you affirm, the things that you are excited about. And Lord, please also show us the areas where we are not loving you. Show us, Lord, the areas of our lives, the the countries, the continents, the states, those areas of our life where we're not loving you. Friends, as we pray, what would you like to do with those areas where you're not loving Jesus? I'd encourage you to pray now and confess that you have not been loving Jesus in those areas. Tell him that you're sorry. Tell him that you're ready for his yoke. Tell him that you're ready to learn from him. And ask him to teach you. Lord Jesus, draw each one of us deeper into a relationship with you so that we would see the rest, experience the rest that only you can give. Lord, bring that rest to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.